0: Hello, and welcome to episode six of the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing podcast series, The Path to Wellbeing in Law. I'm your co-host, Chris Newbold of Alps Malpractice Insurance, and our goal here is simple, to introduce you to cool people doing awesome work in the space of lawyer well-being, and in the process, build and nurture a national network of well-being advocates intent on creating a culture shift within the legal profession. I'm joined today by my friend and fellow co-chair of the National Task Force, Bree Buchanan. Bree, welcome.
1: Absolutely. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here joining us today.
0: Good. And, and today, we're going we're gonna to start a move down into the states. And I think our, our first five or six speakers have really been driven more by kind of some of the national outlook and some of the research that's been done into the, into the lawyer well-being um, space. And as we know, movements generally are driven by those at the grassroots level who live it day to day, who are trying new ideas. Uh, In other words, serving as laboratories of democracy or laboratories of new ideas. And in any movement, you need a few leaders, a few examples to jump out in front. And that's exactly what we've seen uh, out of our friends in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, Across the country, we've seen a swelling of of task forces, work groups, roundtables coming out of state bars, and state supreme courts and there are some lessons to be learned from the virginia experience and their roadmap and there are no two better guests uh, than our duo today margaret ogden who's the wellness coordinator for the uh, for the virginia supreme court and tim carroll who's executive director of the virginia judges and lawyers assistance program Bree, would you be so kind as to introduce our guests
1: Absolutely, right, and i 'm just so excited, Margaret and Tim. Thank you for joining us today uh, what 's going on in Virginia really is a shining light for the rest of the states across the country, so we 're delighted to have you as the first uh, group of state national task force people on our on our show. So Margaret Ogden, um, as chris said she 's the wellness coordinator in the office of the executive secretary, of the Supreme Court of Virginia. Which is one of the new positions that 's being created by the lawyer well being movement, and we have a few other states that are doing that as well. Um, a lawyer by training, Margaret began her career in the roanoke city commonwealth attorney 's office, prosecuting criminal cases and then then went on to defend criminal cases throughout the Roanoke and New River valleys prior to joining her job where she currently is now. I think this is so interesting. Margaret, you served as the staff attorney for the Pennsylvania Interbranch Commission for Gender, Racial, and Ethnic Fairness. What an interesting position. And then Tim has probably one of the most um, unusual backgrounds I have seen for a Lawyer's Assistance Program Director, and it's been brilliant. I met Tim um, five, six years ago, and immediately identified him with somebody who has a special kind of knowledge that he brings to the Lawyer's Assistance Program that has really enabled them to just take off with the program they have in Virginia. So he's the executive director of the JLAP there. He grew up in Virginia and then joined the US Air Force after high school. And after 28 years of service and assignments around the world, he retired at Anchorage, Alaska where he became the chief executive officer of a fisheries-related business. Hmm, fish and lawyers, I don't know. There's, there, I'm sure you've made a connection there at some point. In 2014, he returned to Virginia and assumed his current role in 2015. Mr. Carroll has an undergraduate degree in history from the University of Alaska and a master's degree in business administration from Virginia Commonwealth University. So Margaret and Tim, welcome. We are so glad you're here. And we, Chris and I always start off our program asking our guests a question about what brought you into the space, because we really have seen the people that do so much of the work um, have a passion for it. And so we're really curious about what drives that passion. So Margaret, what brought you to the well-being movement? What experience in your life is a driver behind your passion for this work?
2: Well, that is a wonderful question. And thank you so much, Bree, for, for having us, just as a preliminary matter. And, and thank you for that introduction. As you touched on, my last position was a policy position working for the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. And I got very interested in how court policy shapes not just the practice of law, but access to justice, a court user experience. And really the the lived promise of equal justice under law and how court policy, which might seem on its face kind of neutral and bland, can have a huge impact on that. Uh, So the Pennsylvania Interbranch Commission is kind of cool because they appoint from all three branches of state government to look at racial, ethnic, and other marginalized people who may have bias against them in our court system and how policy can be used to combat that. It's a great organization and it works out of a Supreme Court report from Pennsylvania from 2005. And so when here, the Virginia Supreme Court had put out a report on wellness in our legal profession, I just think it's a fascinating institutional response to seeing how the regulation of our profession, how court and bar policy, Impacts those people who are actively involved in it. And the wellness of lawyers is so important. Uh, I don't mean to only talk about policy. I have what I call a recreational interest in mental health and well being. Um, I was first diagnosed with anxiety when I was in law school. And working with cognitive behavioral therapy, medication, diet, exercise, creative outlets, I've managed to kind of handle that to varying quality within my law school and early professional career. Uh, And so I, I love to talk about this with my friends. This is something that I've been very open with and I think young people I I still consider myself young people. I'm still a young lawyer by the Virginia State Bar's definition of that. Um, (laughs) And so I think that we're seeing a culture shift that is just happening with age in terms of talking about mental health and substance use. I'm also the granddaughter of two alcoholics. And so I'm very lucky that I have, I I don't mean to say I'm lucky that I have this that runs in my family, because certainly these are major issues that face our profession but I'm lucky that I was raised with an awareness of them uh, so that when I started to experience these issues within my own life, I could seek expert help because they're really not things that you can deal with on your own, especially if you're in a profession of public trust like the law. And so that's why you know, selfishly, I'm very interested in this and being a Virginia lawyer, seeing our courts write about this Uh, with the level of product that came out of these court reports, the level of thought, research, really data-driven best practices that have been generated, it's, for me, it's the perfect intersection of like policy wonk and anxiety brain.
1: (laughs) That's great. That's great, Margaret. Thank you for sharing that uh, about your life. We really appreciate, yeah, adding to the story. So, Tim, what brings you to the well-being movement and to the LAP, the Lawyers Assistance Program world? What drives your passion for this work? Because I know you have a passion for it.
3: Well, um, first off, Ray, I want to thank you and Chris for inviting us to, to join in this. And I can't tell you what a joy it is to work with Margaret as we um, carry this mission forward. Uh, we really do have a great team here in Virginia, and. Uh, i'm I'm very proud of the the team and the, the great work that's happening here uh, my as you said my path to a lawyer assistance program was a little bit unorthodox if you will uh, i uh, was not really when i when I came back to Virginia um, I was basically retired and I wasn't looking for a job anywhere um, and this opportunity crossed my path and I saw the middle name. So Virginia, the program used to be called Lawyers Helping Lawyers. And uh, somebody put this in front of me and I thought, lawyers, helping lawyers, what do I know about that? What do I know about the law? What do I know about lawyers? Um, And as we talked, um, I got really focused on the middle name of that organization and that was helping. And I'm at a place in my life where I wanna help others. And this is certainly a place to do that. Um, What really drove me towards the wellness um, basically harkens back to my Air Force career. Um, When I first joined the Air Force, and I won't date myself anymore to to say it was in the post-Vietnam era, um, the Air Force was really in a a state of flux from post-Vietnam. And what I saw around me were... A lot of people who were drinking, um, a lot of people who were smoking. Um, I'd go to the chow hall and see the really quite honestly not the most healthy food uh, choices that were available and a good number of my friends um, who were still involved in drug use while on active duty. Um, I saw a lot of my friends who were falling victim to those vices and uh, really I lost a few friends um, as a result of those things. Over the course of my career, the Air Force really transformed itself and really moved more into a well being and a wellness posture um, with smoking cessation, deglamorizing alcohol, uh, really taking a hard stand on the, the drug use, and really transforming the chow halls to basically have a wider variety of healthy choices than unhealthy choices. We saw fitness centers having a newfound um, focus on the equipment and the programs that were being offered. And I saw a institution, the United States Air Force, go from that post Vietnam era to a wellness era. And that really affected the readiness of the force, which we needed. Um, as you know, for the conflicts that we had in the the 90s and beyond. Um, So I saw a a massive worldwide institution like the United States Air Force that could make that change um, in culture and transform itself. So when I joined the Lawyers Helping Lawyers organization, um, I saw us as a largely reactive organization. Uh, we would kind of play bop it. Uh, Someone would come to us for help, and we would help them. Uh, But we weren't really doing a tremendous amount of outreach and uh, and really trying to change why people were coming to us uh, because we were so small. We were, uh, when I joined, I started part-time, had a full-time counselor, and with a staff of 1.5, all we could do was be reactive. Um, and I saw the proactive side was one that we have to embrace the well-being. And I was thrilled, thrilled when I heard that the ABA was undertaking the National Task Force on Well-Being because I really saw that as an opportunity to transform the culture of the legal profession. And to say that I'm passionate about it would be an understatement. Um, I've lost friends to suicide, I've lost friends to poor eating habits, I've lost friends who were, were drinking and ultimately cost them their lives. And for a profession as critical as the law, uh, something as critical as what we have right here, um, it just, it, it wasn't a large leap for me to get passionate about helping our lawyers, our judges, our law students, the entire legal profession in any way that I can um, so I'm honored to be here um, I'm, I'm just a little piece of the puzzle um, but uh, that's really how I got here
0: yeah great Jim but an important piece of the puzzle and, and I Tim and I have, have had conversations my 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 father was career at Air Force and so again I, I think that that there are some examples out there of shifts in cultures that need to be studied and evaluated as we think about our path forward in the, in the legal profession. But let's turn our attention to, to Virginia, right? And, 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 and I am a firm believer that leadership really starts at the top. And uh, we've been really, I think, blessed in Virginia with folks who have seen the need for this issue to come to the forefront. Um, you know, Bree and I, uh, as original kind of members of the National Task Force on Lower Wellbeing, um, it was your Chief Justice, uh, Don Lemon's, who really kind of brought the judicial um, powerhouse right. I think to to the discussion, and uh, and I know that uh, there's been you know the reason that we have Margaret's in the positions that we do is because some folks I think in Virginia saw a need and then started to develop a plan, uh, put bring together the right parties, and so. Margaret, maybe if you could kind of walk us through, you know, how did the Virginia Supreme Court ultimately find its way into launching the, the well-being committee? And, you know, out of that ultimately came some revenue opportunities that created the infrastructure necessary to kind of flow down to the, to the PIMS of the world and, and other programs in the state. And so I'd just love for our listeners to hear about the, the, the journey uh, of, of how, Virginia got to where it is today.
2: Yeah, of course. And I'm, I'm kind of late to the party in this journey, right? Because I started in my position on October 25th of 2019. And I will keep that date in my mind forever because, you know, five months later, our whole profession changed. Uh, But we need to backtrack it up because I am the culmination of many people's efforts, far smarter minds than me and far larger level, levers of power needed to be pulled before we even get there. Uh, and so what you have, as you mentioned, our Chief Justice, Donald Lemon sitting on the National Task Force, seeing these numbers coming out of these national studies. And I can't thank you all enough for highlighting not just the statistical data, but but this call to action that goes down to the states, right? We have some very preliminary data. We want more data and we also recognize that this might look different in different states. This might look different in different practice areas. Let us empower states to go out and investigate how their state is regulating the profession, and what can be done to shift the culture within these laboratories of democracy. Uh, so that call was heated in Virginia, and Justice William Mims headed up the Virginia State Supreme Court Committee for Lawyer Wellbeing. And that committee drew not just from the judiciary, although all levels are represented there. We've got the Court of Appeals, uh, which is our intermediate court of limited jurisdiction. We have the circuit courts, which are our higher level trial courts, and then the general district courts, which you know, traffic misdemeanors, preliminary hearings. We're recognizing that all of those court actors are facing different occupational risks and seeing different pieces of really lawyer unwellness. Uh, So all of those folks, we have the law schools, Uh, There are eight in Virginia, um, and all eight of the deans participated in the first law school summit that came out of this report. So it was a groundswell effort amongst academia. And then you also have the regulators, right? The State Bar, Ethics Council, the Disciplinary Board, uh, coming to bring their expertise to the table and talk about the way the rules of professional conduct and our ethical obligations are playing out with women empowerment and then finally you have the private sector attorneys right this incredible organization of folks from bar organizations from employers representing small firms large firms that are all kind of doing their own wellness thing before this even started right they're they're doing this at a volunteer level they're taking this on on their own because they've seen these problems the statistics didn't really come as a shock to people i think if anything just anecdotally, we're, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop for people to get more comfortable talking about these problems, and the numbers will probably go up as we destigmatize more of these conversations. Uh, but that means that more people will get help, and Virginia did a great job of bringing all these stakeholders together to put out a report that focuses on real, tangible recommendations, things that can be done that signal to the profession that this is a priority, and that it's not a burden that you need to add to your already busy life to take care of yourself. That this is a foundation upon which your professionalism and your ethics are based. And so so much to the point that it's now been added as a comment to rule 1.1 in our code of rules of professional conduct that governs competency, that lawyers need to have the physical, emotional, and mental competency to practice law. Um, and. To see all of these different stakeholders really grasp onto this and say, yes, we think this is important. Yes, we can make changes to our rules and our policies. We're going to hold up the mirror of self-reflection. We don't like what we see. And rather than go to despair, we will be called to action. Because here's the other thing. It then required going in front of the General Assembly to get a state bar's due assessment added to every active member of the Virginia State Bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's $30 a year, it started being assessed in July of 2019, and just because of the way our state government is structured, that required an act of the General Assembly. and. Wow to me this you know i i love all branches of state government equally but if someone says margaret you have to go to the general assembly and get us money that's that's oh that's the worst hill to try to climb but if anything that shows you how how really how much belief there was in lawyers helping lawyers because that is where the bulk of that funding was dedicated to go it wasn't just oh, we're gonna assess a fund and who knows what will happen. No, there was a brilliant roadmap in this report that said, Lawyers Helping Lawyers has been doing this work since 1984. We believe in them because they're using evidence-based best practices. They have volunteers throughout the Commonwealth who have gone through these issues and have turned their careers around. And all they need is the money to expand. You know, the, the, if, they, if, if we build it, they will come. Uh, and, and to the point where you convince the General Assembly to do that, I think that really shows uh, a strong momentum. And I'm also biased in favor of this because that also funded my position, right? So if we have lawyers helping lawyers existing as a separate nonprofit, it's not part of the court system, right? And that's important because confidentiality is prime with these issues. We want people to be comfortable calling up Tim and they know they don't get me, right? (laughs) But also, it's important that the court bring the weight of its institutional gravitas to say, hey, go seek help. Let's destigmatize help seeking behavior. Seek it proactively. Um, So I'm excited to be living in the court and talking about institutional policies, talking about education outreach. We've been putting out a bunch of CLEs. Our virtual judicial conferences now have a wellness component. I say virtual. They will virtual this year. Hopefully that will not continue into the future. Uh, But more of this kind of generalized health and wellness from an institutional level is what this groundswell of specific recommendations worked up to build.
0: Um, so Margaret, just, remind me um, in, in when the report, because I'm, I'm pretty certain that you were the first state to produce a comprehensive report on well being, right? So, one one it, of the
2: early ones. I don't want to step on any toes. I know Utah
1: and yeah, Vermont, Vermont put out I early think, ones yeah. too. You guys yeah. were first. Yeah. <laughs> T- take it oh, okay. take it it's yours <laughs> but remind me of
0: the date there because I, I for you know, a lot of our listeners will be tuning in from other state task forces and I want them to kind of understand i mean w- what is so unique I think about what Virginia has done is um, there's a lot of reports that come out of 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 study right and and saying we need to do this we need to do that you know really what 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 everyone in Virginia should be, should be so proud of is the fact that you took words and you translated it into action right and that oftentimes it doesn't happen with, you know, task forces and so forth, right? Sometimes it's you know you, you write an author report and you, you maybe check off some low hanging fruit, but you guys have really systemically changed the playing field of this particular issue, as it relates to to Virginia. So the report comes out in oh, okay, so twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. um, and then you, you got to think that the the most substantive. Um, impacts of the report were, and you've already mentioned it, right? Rule change to the rules of professional conduct that includes well-being in, in, in a comment to the duty of competence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you basically set in, in play, and we know generally, and Bree and Tim can speak to this firsthand, that lawyer assistance programs around the country are generally underfunded, right? Um, you know, ALPS is a malpractice carrier. We give a, a good chunk of money to what was formerly Virginia lawyers' Helping lawyers, but but is but across the country, you know, there's just not enough fuel in the tank for lawyers' assistance programs to have enough impact, of, and really take on not just the safety net, but also the 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 the, the big picture realm of of well-being, right? And so I'm, I'm so the uh, explain for our audience then report comes out in 2018, uh, Justice Mims, who is you know really an unsung hero in in, in all of this, right? Um, but, you know, even, even Justice Mims, you know, the, the Virginia State Bar and its leadership and Len Heath, they produced an occupational risk report that's really critical as well. Let's um, kind of talk us through, you know, when, when, when did the money discussion start? When does it pass the General Assembly? Um, and, and what ultimately does it do to transform, you know, the, the, the revenue side that enables us now to do so much more?
2: So and I think you're exactly right. I mentioned Justice Mims briefly as the head of this committee, but I want to sing about this hero because I really do think that not only is he just an excellent human being, he's someone with an incredibly nuanced understanding of our Virginia state government. He is one of the few people in the history of our Commonwealth who's held highest positions at the top of each of our branches of government. He served in our state house. He was the attorney general. So this man understands what it takes to create a culture shift within state government. Um, And I don't know when exactly it goes to the General Assembly. I am still back in Pennsylvania in 2018, Uh, but in enough time to get the first bar dues funding assessed in July of 2019 on our annual state bar assessment. And part of this is also very good timing with the Client Protection Fund. That had been doing very well, and so those dues were lowered, which I think makes it more palatable to slightly increase and, well, establish this fund entirely. And then finally, there's this other piece that I want to touch on too, is the Virginia Law Foundation and Virginia CLE's contributions, because this all works much better when well-being is recognized as a key part of lawyer education. And in Virginia, we have mandatory continuing legal education, and that CLE board was very quick to change their well, amend an opinion, opinion 19, to make it more clear that well being programming should be approved for CLE credit. And the Virginia Law Foundation, Virginia CLE, is one of our largest state providers. They signed on to say, hey, we're going to provide a well being library that we're going to replenish every year online. And we're going to offer two of these free to every lawyer, judge, and law student in the Commonwealth every year. Uh, so that is, to me, that shows not just the the funding coming from attorneys and going through the General Assembly, but also stakeholders saying, we're gonna be sure that attorneys see the value for their funds, hopefully, so that it it is an easier sell to everyone who is in the bar to take this on collectively. Like, look, you're getting something out of this, even if you yourself are not gonna seek the services of lawyers helping lawyers.
1: Yeah, so let's bring Tim in on this. And Tim, I was listening, to Margaret's earlier answer about the the what all the work and support for the lawyers assistance program there in Virginia and um, with my ears of a former lap director and it must be so wonderful to work as an ally with somebody who so gets what an LAP is about. Um, so Tim what I wanted to ask you was talk about this process of what happened in Virginia from the lawyer's assistance program perspective, how did this come about and how did you all fit into this process?
3: Yeah, so, um, you know, after the ABA Hazleton Betty Ford and after that survey came out, um, that was really the call to action. Um, I know the ABA responded to that with the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing, but, you know, we didn't sit on our haunches here in Virginia. Um, We said, what can we do about that? And we took the numbers um, out of that survey and overlaid it on Virginia. Um, And with our population, um, we could assume that if the ABA Hazleton study was accurate, um, that we have upwards of 12,000 attorneys in Virginia who are operating from some level of impairment. And when you can use that as a talking point, you really get people's attention. Um, And and I'll just insert real quick. Um, Thanks to ALPS, uh, back in 2014, uh, the College of William and Mary Law School did a survey of Virginia attorneys. And while it wasn't peer reviewed, and it wasn't published, um, I've seen it. And I can tell you that the numbers track very closely in Virginia to what the national report said. Well, so we could speak with confidence that we have upwards of 12,000 um, who for one reason or another are operating from some level of impairment. And we looked at what we were doing. What was the lab doing? And we had on average about 100 new clients a year um, with our staff of 1.5 and one counselor. Um, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. So of course we went with our hat in hand and asked for more money so we could get some more staff and you know, um, dollars are tight. You can't expect everybody to just open up their coffers. Um, so we we built a business plan um, based on best practices that we saw around the country um, with other laps based on what we saw the needs of Virginia being. Um, We didn't put a dollar figure on it until after we had built the plan. And then we said, what would something like this cost? Because we want it to be a best practice lawyer assistance program. Uh, We took that to the state bar. Uh, We took that to the Virginia Trial Lawyers Association. We took it to the law foundation. Uh, We pretty much paraded that all over anybody who would listen. Um, And everybody said, yeah, that looks really good. That's really nice. But there's not a pathway for funding for that. So when Chief Justice Lemons came back from the National Task Force and he uh, challenged or tasked Justice Mims to head up the, the committee in Virginia, uh, that committee was, and, and if you, I hope you'll be able to provide a link to the to the report, it's a profession at risk. Um, it'll outline who all was on that, but but take my word for it. It was the key stakeholders in the legal profession around the the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, Some real movers and shakers. The very first briefing that that committee got after Chief Justice Lemons tasked them was our business plan. Uh, That was the first thing they heard uh, and gave us the opportunity to pitch the need, to pitch the studies that had been done and what we proposed to do about it. So that committee really uh, took off with, um, with the, the challenge from the chief to study the National Task Force report and look at ways to implement that in Virginia, and they were armed with our business plan sitting on the side. Um, so it was very fortuitous timing for us. Um, but if you also look at the composition of that committee, um, there are several former and active board members from the Lawyer Assistance Program who served on that committee as well. So they knew what they were talking about. Um, they knew the, the, the issues at hand, um, and were were very, obviously very well-versed in the legal profession of Virginia um, to be able to make the recommendations that they did. So um, to say that we were on the, the sidelines would be, would be wrong, Uh, to say that we were in there with our sleeves rolled up would be correct. And that was only because uh, Chief Justice Lemons and Justice Mims invited us to to play an active role in that committee. I didn't serve on the committee, but I was an advisor to each one of the subgroups of that committee. Um, They could reach out, we we could give them our two cents, we could help guide them through Uh, their discussions. And we weren't doing that with a parochial view towards the lawyer assistance program. We did it with a parochial view towards what's best for the legal profession in Virginia.
0: Yeah, this is, well, this is, this is a good probably break point here, because I think it, it kind of sets the tone for revenue source in hand, action plan in hand, right? And, and kind of where things come with, with Margaret coming on board. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and and, uh, and hear the rest of the Virginia story.
2: Your law firm is worth protecting. And so is your time. ALPS has the quickest online application for legal malpractice insurance out there. Apply, see rates, and bind coverage all in about 20 minutes. Being a lawyer is hard. Our new online app is easy. Apply now at applyonline.com.
0: All right, welcome back. And we are talking about Virginia and some of the trailblazing work that Virginia has done on lawyer well-being. Let's kind of, Margaret, let's shift the conversation back to you. And so the assessments made on Virginia lawyers, right? And and that generally roughly creates about a million dollars in revenue annually you know, I'd be curious as the as the first wellness coordinator for the Commonwealth now what do you work on, right? How do you think about your day and uh, and ultimately what's what's the game plan? What do you hope to achieve as you think about the allocation of those resources relative to you know making a difference?
2: right so and i I think you have it's smart to think about it in terms of allocation of funds, right? We have the Lawyers Assistance Program, formerly Lawyers Helping Lawyers, getting the bulk of that funding allocation every year to expand their staffing. And this doesn't just allow them to provide direct services, it also allows them to really beef up these education and outreach efforts. And that's where my position comes in, right? Because we recognize that Even though impairment is a very large problem in our profession, statistically, the majority of lawyers will not themselves become impaired over the course of their career, right? But we can all do a little better. Even if we are not at the level of relying on substances to get through our day to the detriment of our clients, because of the unique occupational stressors of our profession, we are at greater risk for things like burnout. And that means we need to kind of take on more protective habits on our daily basis to ensure that we're meeting these higher standards. And I think that's where my position comes in, is looking at education and outreach on more general health and well-being. I love the six areas of well-being from the National Task Force report. That's a really great way for me to talk about it to attorneys, because I think past workplace well-being efforts kind of have all focused on step challenges or weight loss, really physical fitness, and that can be isolating for a lot of people, particularly attorneys and particularly with an aging population. So I wanna be sure that we're talking about wellness holistically, and we're talking about it on an institutional level, right? I think of, of Tim and Jim and Barbara and Angeline and Janet, the staff of the Virginia Judges Lawyers Assistance Program, five people now as really having the individuals covered. And I think of my role as the institutions and the stakeholders, right? Making sure that the associate deans of all of the law schools are talking to each other every month about trends in well-being among their students and what programs are working. This is my favorite monthly conference call and I just sent out the agenda before this. So I'm very excited about talking. We talk every month, me and the, the associate deans of the law schools about what they're saying. Uh, in terms of coordinating a judicial response. So my position very smartly, I think, was housed in the office of the executive secretary of the Supreme Court. In Pennsylvania, our version of that was called the administrative office of the courts. Think of it as, yeah, the the administrative arm. So HR lives there, court IT. And thinking that wellness is so pervasive that it needs to be part of our administrative function, I think is very forward-looking. Absolutely, brilliant. Yeah, and specifically, I'm within our educational services department, and that's the group that puts on our yearly judicial conferences for all of our judges, and then a bunch of other groups that the court has some education responsibilities for, like clerks, magistrates, um, other court personnel. And this is really exciting because having wellness on the judicial conference agenda. Yeah. <laughs> blows my mind when we were going to initially be in person this year, I had an entire Wednesday afternoon of wellness activities. Justice Mims was going to be leading a jogging group. Uh, we have a, a, and this was really fun to, to plan, activities for the judges because they don't have necessarily the same strict CLE requirements that lawyers do, but showing them that wellness can be something they can incorporate into their conferences, uh, that they take it on almost like a, like a perk, um, and that it's led by their colleagues. Not only does that help us just in terms of budgeting, we're not bringing in really expensive outside experts. But I think things are more exciting when you see your buddies doing them. Uh, So we were able to transition that virtually have a booklet made and still do a couple Zoom sessions Uh, and it's having the funding and the staffing in place before the pandemic I think was super key because it's much easier to adapt when you already have a person who's working in that space. Uh, So law students, judges, and then, of course, lawyers, right? They they make up the bulk of my outreach efforts. And that's, the court is never going to be entirely taking over continuing legal education for lawyers. Thank goodness, no, I would never be able to do that on my own. But working with the folks who are doing that, so Uh, the Conference of Local and Specialty Bar Associations, presenting to them and enabling and empowering our local and affiliation bars to incorporate wellness education into their programs, Um, working with CLE providers to, especially when we do virtual programming, take into account some well-being, you know, not back-to-back-to-back not to back to back in front of a screen, um, acknowledge Zoom fatigue, uh, Build in spaces for people to walk around and get moving. Uh, so it's, every day is a little different, <laughs> um, which, is, which is fun because I am serving a few different audiences, um, and we are talking about, yeah, organizational and institutional response to support healthy habits.
1: Yeah. Margaret, I love yeah. how you're able to come in and because you've got that position there and you're thinking about this obviously every day uh, and, and are able to put so much energy in it. And the conference, I looked at the agenda. I read the booklet. It is, was really impressive in that you have, this is so key, you have this very visible support from the top of the legal profession in the Commonwealth, and that's, that's so key, and you guys are so blessed to have that. Tim, I wanted to ask you, um, what can you share with others, uh, anybody who's working on this, and especially the Lawyer's Assistance Programs, if they wanna start some sort of statewide, multi-stakeholder, committee, commission, task force, what advice would you give to them?
3: Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. I've actually talked to some of the other directors uh, who have called and asked, "How did you do that?" Um, and I, I really had to think about, uh, but I didn't have to think very far because it was such a upfront and uh, activity that we were involved in. Uh, so we, I, I guess, the the key to the labs um, is really to. Except that for people to trust you, they have to know you. They're not just going to pick up a phone and call one 800 lap They could call 1-800-ADDICTION-CENTER. They could call wherever they want. Um, but they have to know us if they're going to trust us. Uh, they have to trust that we are competent in what we do. They have to trust that we will hold their confidentiality. Um, and they have to trust that we can help them. Um, so that's really the, the cornerstone of, of the lab. Um, we, we built our business plan from that cornerstone. How do we get out and how do we get known enough to be trusted? Uh, the first step is to have a plan. Uh, no one is going to throw money at the lab if the lab doesn't demonstrate what they're going to do with it. So the very first step is to build a plan, Um, build a business plan, build a, um, build a, build a plan. Um, The second step is to engage the stakeholders at every level, Um, at the top, the middle, the grassroots, wherever it is, engage all of the stakeholders um, so that they buy into that plan. Um, and then, of course, have a champion. Our champion was Chief Justice Lemons. I'm gonna say our co-champion was Justice Mims. Um, having those two at the very top of the profession in Virginia, um, looking out for the lap and looking for how could they make the biggest difference to the entire legal profession and seeing that we were ready to do it. Um, that was really the key to our success. So. So, just basically to summarize it, if you want to, if you want to do what Virginia did, build a plan, engage the stakeholders, and excuse me, build a plan, <laughs> engage the stakeholders, and make sure you have a champion somewhere, uh, preferably at the top.
0: And Tim, <laughs> can you can you spend a, just a minute on, um, you know. The, your program has really been transformed, right? Through the additional funding, right? So I, I want want you to give our listeners uh, some insight into, you know, when, when you have a, I don't even know how much more revenue you had from before, but obviously you had a plan. Where are you at in your plan and how has this fuel from Margaret's office in the state Supreme Court done to transform your program?
3: Yeah, so, so we, if, if we're going to hire people, we have to have money. Um, you know, nobody's, I mean, we have volunteers. Let me, let me get that out there first. The, the foundation of our program is volunteers. Um, and that's really, you know, we, we have not been successful since 1984, um, up to 2019, um, without our volunteers. Um, you can't do it with a staff of one. You can't do it with a staff of 1.5. Um, so, the way we transformed what we do includes the volunteers. That piece is constant it has never changed. Um, what we've done though, you know volunteers have full time jobs most often um, they as as any nonprofit has found uh, getting the time from a volunteer they're willing to do it, but sometimes they just don't have the time so we what we did was established a, if you're familiar with the geography of Virginia, um, there's Northern Virginia, which is sometimes referred to as another country. Uh, There's Southwest Virginia, that really is another country. Um, And and if you're going to work in Southwest Virginia, you've got to understand the culture, you've got to understand the geography, you've got to understand what it means to be a lawyer or a judge in Southwest Virginia. And when we say Southwest, and if you want to pull out a map and look, that's not Roanoke. Get that clear, it's farther out. So we hired a uh, licensed professional counselor with the monies that we were given. The, I said when I came on board, the very first dollar that I would spend would be on somebody in Southwest Virginia. Um, and so we've got Angeline out.
0: Al- Oops, looks like we might have lost uh, lost Tim. Um, Margaret, are you aware of the kind of the three areas around Virginia? Oh yeah, yeah. definitely.
2: And and this is actually kind of a little fun story. On my first week of work, I went to far southwest Virginia. And I say far southwest because I started my practice in Roanoke, and I made the mistake of saying Roanoke was southwest Virginia. And the folks out in Grundy at Appalachian School of Law quickly corrected me um, because that's another three hours past Roanoke. Uh, Virginia is enormous. And Angeline is very cool. She's out there in rural retreat and she's from that area, so she's been working very closely with Appalachian, the law school there, and also just with serving the population of attorneys there because of kind of the nature of the geography, the population, it's a really under-resourced area when it comes to mental health and substance use. Uh, so, I think just having a presence there of someone who is from there and understands that area has been immensely helpful for cultivating that relationship, not just with the law school but with the with the bar and with the the courts there as well
0: yeah, so it sounds like the the strategy uh, that that tim 's organization is employing is you know, more licensed professionals closer to the ground with, with broader geographic focus, right? Uh, exactly. So-
2: and having folks who are there who are building those connections with these stakeholders who are already in place, right? So we have our eight law schools around the Commonwealth. They're great, and not just for their education, but for their alumni networks um, and for their educational programming that they send out with their law students. Uh, the other piece is bar associations locally, and then building relationships with treatment providers locally, too, making sure that mental health professionals are comfortable treating lawyers so that there's this really strong referral network. A lot of people have started calling JLAP not to be in a long-term, you know, like monitored formal relationship. Uh, I get to see these numbers in the aggregate every month as part of our uh, reporting. I, I never see any individual clients of JLAP. This is the great thing about them remaining a separate, independent 501c3 nonprofit. But they are very transparent in their aggregate numbers. So we can see that people call them all the time to just ask, hey, I need a therapist in my area who will work with me as an attorney, or I need a marriage counselor, or do you have the number for a rehab place for my kid? Um, it, it doesn't need to always be an intense relationship. JLAP is there for whatever struggle a legal professional is having where they are. Um, and they're developing those local relationships so that they can give people resources in those locations.
0: Excellent. Well, this has been uh, you know again, Virginia such a such a cool story, right? And it looks like, uh... Tim is, is joining us back for hopefully the, the the final question here. Tim, we we successfully passed the baton on to Margaret. We're still rolling. Uh, you, you she did great, and let me just ask him one final question, which is, you know, you guys are now you know a, a year, year and a half, two years into your uh, plan, right, and 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 starting to probably really see results, and and uh, I'm sure there have been stumbling blocks and some things that have really surprised you. Just just would be curious on lessons learned, uh, either the hard way or lessons that you think that are are worthwhile for our listeners to hear in terms of things that have been really successful.
3: Well, um, I'll, I'll piggyback. Don't let your power fail and take your internet with it. Um, so my apologies for that. <laughs> um, so we. Um, I think the lessons that we've learned are to get all of the stakeholders engaged. Um, And really, Margaret has been an amazing, amazing addition to our team. Um, From day one, Margaret came down and talked to us about what she viewed her role with, about how we could work together. Uh, We do have that clear line of separation um, in terms of the client load, um, but we do have a, an incredible collaboration uh, in terms of outreach, in terms of getting the word out, in terms of being present and supportive around the, the Commonwealth. Um, and I guess I didn't have a vote in Margaret being in that position, but whoever did um, hit the goldmine. So, if there is a lesson to be learned, make sure that you hire the right person to be your wellness coordinator at the at the very top. Uh, you know, and, and just get make sure that you've got constant communication with your stakeholders, um, the various bar associations, the the top level bar associations, the local bar associations. Continually engage with them to make sure that you're you're carrying the same message and that you're supporting what the needs of their constituency is. Um, I think that those are the, the most critical things to to the success that we have. Of course, our amazing team um, <laughs> that I hope Margaret was able to, uh, to talk about. Uh, we just have an amazing group of people. Uh, it's a joy to work with and and uh, you know top to bottom all of the bar associations, the court, state bar, uh, this is just a, a perfect world here in Virginia. and I'm
0: proud uh, to feels, be It feels, feels a little bit like a symphony, right? With, uh, with Margaret as the conductor and, and every, when every piece kind of comes together, you can really make some pretty sweet music.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, again, thank you both uh, so much for, uh, for joining us on, on the podcast. I, I'm sure there are listeners who might be interested in contacting you if, if uh, with your permission, I think we'd like to include your contact information when we host the podcast and so that people can contact you directly and you know hear firsthand the stories and and uh, you know we certainly will be keeping our eyes on your successes as we continue to move forward because we, again we need we need states like yours to be leaders out front and and uh, to be able to kind of demonstrate the type of change that can occur and as a as a as somebody who watches Virginia lawyers quite closely on me on the malpractice side I, I know that there's a lot of pride in the legal profession in Virginia and I think that that probably also speaks to why this has become uh, an issue that folks have been able to rally uh, around uh, you know there's just there's just a high quality of lawyering that goes on in Virginia and I think that the focus on well-being is a natural complement
2: Oh yeah. Lawyers from Virginia started our country uh, I'm always proud to be a Virginia <laughs> lawyer and I'm also always proud to talk to lawyers from other states and commonwealths about what we're doing and also, you know, We'll talk about failures too. The important part of this conversation is honesty and vulnerability. Uh, so please share our information and, and we will we will zoom in to, to courtrooms around our, our affairs in the country. <laughs> Thank you, Mark.
3: I, I would say just unlike my last two jobs, uh, we do not have trade secrets. Uh, we are willing to share anything that we have with anyone at any time. Um, so yes, uh, Spread our contact information out. Uh, we're at the other end of the phone or at the other end of the email. Um, if we can help anybody, we're, we're here to, to be a partner.
0: Excellent. Well, again, thank, thank you. you both for joining us today. And uh, we'll be back with the podcast in a couple of weeks. And until then, be well.